opportunity uh, to come and to open up your word and to learn. And Lord, we just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would uh, open up our ears, our minds, our hearts to receive your word, that we would be changed uh, for the better. Lord, that these truths would uh, inspire us to, to live and walk in them. We thank you so much for your word, the truth that we can rest on. You are amazing. It's all for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, uh, go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1. First portion of our month, we were looking at a few sections of from uh, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1 and 2. Uh, today, we're going to look at Luke's uh, second account. Some people will say it's part two in his series. Uh, probably more than likely, it's better to call it his continuation of his first account, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but Luke, just a bit of a reminder, Luke was is someone we, we really don't know a lot about, uh, other than he was uh, most likely a Gentile and he came to faith in Christ and eventually he started accompanying uh, Paul throughout his missionary journeys going around the Roman Empire in the first century proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, as a profession, he was considered a physician, not a witch doctor, but a physician of the first century. Um, and it's very possible uh, due to Paul's uh, frequent ailments that Luke was maybe even served as kind of Paul's uh, personal physician there as they were going around. What we do know is uh, one of, of uh, Paul's letters, in fact, it's probably his last letter before his martyrdom, uh, 2 Timothy, uh, Paul mentions that uh, out of everyone who was with him, only Luke is still standing by his side. Tradition says that he died around 85 years old, never married, never had any kids. And whether those traditions are, are accurate, uh, I like how one of them uh, documents uh, Luke. It says, when he died, he died serving the Lord full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a great way to go. Serving Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. And so that was uh, Luke. So eventually, um, around 30 years, 30 plus years after Jesus' death and, and resurrection, uh, Luke got the idea of writing an account of, of uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. He wasn't an eyewitness, but eyewitnesses were still around and alive at that, during that time. And so Luke set out, kind of became a historian, Indiana Jones kind of guy, investigating to its exactness to find out uh, exactly you know, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? And so you get moments, really intimate moments, like Mary when she was visited by the angel and stuff like that. You know, you can just imagine Luke just sitting across the table uh, from, from Mary and asking, you know, so tell me of your experience during this time. Uh, so Luke, that's what Luke did. He compiled everything, put it all together. Um, and um, in the first century, whenever someone was putting together an historical account, uh, typically they would uh, have, or typically they would be sponsored by someone of high esteem, someone who had means, because putting together a historical account took a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of finances. And so uh, 
that's what would happen. Someone who had financial means would support, financially support an individual who's putting this account. We have examples of like the historian Josephus. He was commissioned to write some uh, uh, historical accounts. Um, but Luke mentions a guy named Theophilus. We don't know who he is. Uh, his name could mean lover of God or loved of God. Um, most likely he was a follower of Jesus and he sponsored Luke. He financially backed him while Luke was investigating to put this all in. And so Luke honors him and, and, and brings him up. Um, so we're going to be looking again in, in at the book of Acts chapter one. We're going to be focusing on verses one through 11. Now, if you've ever wondered how the early church started, how it looked, how it actually started uh, expanding uh, on the, in, in the first century Rome, uh, the book of Acts is for you. This, uh, this is a, not a myth. This is not a fable. This is not half-truths wrapped in exaggeration. This is an, a historical account, a true historical account that we, could, we can trust. Um, and it depicts, gives us the, how the church was birthed. But as we read the book of Acts, we don't want to simply read it just for that historical information. One um, person put it this way, uh, scholars and soldiers tend to be the most interested in history, you know, studying history, scholars and, and soldiers. Uh, scholars study history to know what people used to do. Soldiers study history to learn what still needs to be done. A scholar will pour themselves into history and, and really absorb it uh, for the sake of information. A soldier will pour himself into history, studying it to allow that information to push and direct his mission. And, and, and so as we read through the Bible, again, there's many, many historical accounts that you can read. Our goal is not to read this simply as a scholar. Simply, we're just getting information. We're just trying to find out how many horses and chariots can David had. And maybe that's a good a trivia question, but we're not supposed to be reading this historical account just for that information. We, um, the, the, the Apostle Paul uh, in Ephesians chapter six says that we do not battle against flesh and blood. Our ultimate battle, our ultimate conflict isn't with their wacky neighbor across the street or you know, uh, employee or employer. Our, our, our enemy, Paul says, is against the, 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 the authorities, against the, 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 the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's an invisible spiritual battle that we as Christians are engaged in every single day. Even when we go to sleep, that battle is still going on. And so Paul uses the language. He starts referring to Christians as soldiers. Like, oh, this individual, he's a soldier uh, for, for Christ, that we are part of God's army. And what's really, really cool about being part of God's army is that we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. Jesus has already declared victory over Satan, sin, and death. And so that's how we fight. We fight not because we're trying to beat the enemy. Jesus has already done that. So that's really, really encouraging. And so as, as, as soldiers in God's army, we are to read God's word as soldiers. Again, not just for interesting information, but for transformation, recognizing that we are on mission. Does that make sense? 
So as we come to the book of Acts, that's what we want to do. Read this, not just simply as a scholar to figure out, oh, how the early church just started, but to read it really as a soldier getting ready to prepare for battle. And so if you have your Bibles again, Acts chapter one, starting at verse one, uh, Luke right away brings up his first account, the gospel of Luke. He says, the first account I composed the first written account, the first thing that I assembled, Theophilus, or in the Greek, it's O Theophilus. It's, again, a kind of a formal way of addressing him, uh, giving him honor. Um, The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began, all that Jesus started, all that Jesus uh, commenced. This gives the implication that the book of Acts is all that Jesus continued to do. So we look at the book of Luke and we see Jesus's work in his life and in his, ministry, his life and death and resurrection. Um, we go to the, the book of Acts and we see Jesus's work continuing, but now it's through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you think about that? That, that, should, that simple truth should change the way you view church right there. If you think church is just simply a building or a bunch of programs or pot blessings, as amazing as those are, you're missing the point. The church is so much more amazing than that. Jesus continues his work in and through us. The ministry he started when he was on this planet continues now through us, his people, the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is amazing truth. And I know people are like, Uh, turkey, turkey, lots of food in my belly still, and I'm tired and all that. But this is amazing truth, you guys. Amazing truth. So Jesus began, he, he says, all that Jesus began to do and to teach, to instruct, to admonish. Now, Jesus did some pretty incredible things, right? He took a young kid's lunch, fish and a couple of breads, and he fed a stadium worth of people. Right, and, and they even had leftovers. I mean, that's pretty incredible. He walked on water. That's incredible. He had a, a, a tomb uncovered and he spoke out into that tomb. Lazarus, come out, a dead guy, come on out. And that dead guy came back out. That's incredible. But not only was, did he do those, those incredible, miraculous, supernatural things, but he also invested his life in individuals who were culturally, socially outcast during that time. Individuals who were ceremonially unclean and individuals who didn't have any worth or value. It was those people that Jesus went to. Individuals who used, oh, you don't even want to touch those individuals. Jesus went over and he touched them and he loved them and he showed them how much dignity and worth that they have because they're made in the image of God. God did some amazing things. He also said some pretty incredible things. He said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's crazy. That means he's God. He also went around talking to people and sometimes he would look at an individual and say, your sins are forgiven. That's incredible. Now, the, the issue most people have, and I'm I'm talking particularly for those outside the church, those who are not followers of Jesus. The, The issue people have is not with the things that Jesus did. 
Okay, the things that Jesus did, helping people, showing people love and dignity and respect and healing people, casting out demons and all that kind of stuff, they would say, those are good things. They don't have a problem with the things that Jesus did, but they do have a problem with what he said, what he taught. When questioned, what's the way to God? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God except through me. Like there is no legitimate pathway to spend time eternal, eternity with God except through Jesus Christ. There is no truth, no acceptable truth uh, to live our lives except the truth that Jesus proclaimed through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no way to have eternal life except through your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that rubs people the wrong way. That's where people go, okay, you know, that's intolerant. That's not politically correct. You're being very exclusive in a very inclusive environment that we live in right now. But the thing is you can't divorce one from the other. You can't separate. If you say you follow Jesus, you can't say, well, I follow Jesus, the deeds of Jesus, but I don't really accept his words and, and his teachings. You can't do that because his actions are fueled by what he says. And what he says inspires what he does. They all go together, what he does and what he says, you can't remove them. If you accept Jesus, if you're following Jesus, you follow what he's done, what he said, and that's it. You can't make that decision. And so Luke says, uh, that's what he wrote in, in, in his past uh, book, the book, the gospel of Luke, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now again, it's gonna continue on through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse two, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit or literally through the Holy Spirit, given orders, given commands, directions to the apostles whom he had chosen. Apostle, the word there just simply means a messenger, uh, the, the, the bearer of a message or a commissioned for mes- uh, a, a, a message. Uh, that's who the disciples became. God, you know, Jesus gave them a, a mission to, to proclaim the good news, the gospel uh, of, of Jesus Christ, of salvation, the kingdom of God. And he sent them out. He, he says whom he had chosen. Chosen means to be selected for a task. That's what these individuals were chosen for, to spread the good news, to, to, to be at the, 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 the front line at the, the birth of this new thing called the church. Verse three, to these, he also presented himself alive, presented himself as living after his suffering by many convincing proofs. The word convincing proofs would be infallible proofs, clear proofs, you know, certain proofs. You know, how, how, do you, how do you prove that you were, you know, you were once dead and you're alive? Well, you see this individual, you walk with him, you talk with him, you see him get nailed onto a cross, you see him murdered by professional executioners, um, wrapped up, taken to get buried, and then all of a sudden you see him walking around having breakfast. I mean, that's a big proof right there. He was dead, you saw it, now he's alive. Now he's talking to people. And you know, it, it, it was very, very convincing. I, I think of um, Thomas. We always refer to him as Doubting Thomas because he, he, he doubted that Jesus rose from the dead. And so, you know, he said, I, I can't believe that Jesus is, is alive unless I see him. Unless I hear him, unless I touch him, unless I put my hands on the scars uh, and, and, and the scar on his side where the, 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 the soldiers pierced him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus 
appears right into that room. I mean, again, you, how did that happen? I don't know, but boom, there he is. And Jesus says, hi, here I am, Thomas. Here, here, look, look, look at my, my scars. And you don't even have to just look. You can actually come, come on up and touch them. Put your fingers in the scars. Put your fingers in the, in, in, in the side. You know, don't doubt, believe. And Thomas's reaction was what? My Lord and my God. That was a convincing proof. He didn't need anything else. Jesus is alive. No other religion, at least that I'm aware of, has a risen savior, a risen Messiah, a risen chosen one, if you want to say. Uh, uh, you know, you can go visit the, 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 the shrine and the, the tomb of the Buddha. You know, it's, it's all decked out. It's got all these flowers and all these letters of, of appreciation, whatever. You can go and, and, and visit the tomb of Confucius, uh, who brought up Confucianism. You can go visit the tomb of Muhammad. You can go visit the, cemet- the, the, the tomb of, of Joseph Smith. But if you go to visit the tomb of Jesus, they're going to take you to this place and say, well, we think Jesus was probably buried in one of these tombs. They don't know for sure. Why? Because he ain't in there. He's risen. He's alive. He proved that he was alive, but many convincing proofs. So many people saw him alive and they were thoroughly convinced to the point where they followed him even when it led to torture and death. If you're not fully convinced that someone rose from the dead, you're not gonna allow yourself to be thrown to dogs. You know, you're not gonna allow yourself to be dipped in pitch and lit on fire, to be crucified, to be stoned, mocked, ridiculed. You're not gonna allow that. But Jesus was alive. What did he do? He, he appeared to them over a period of, of 40 days, enough time. Hey, if you, didn't, if you didn't think I was alive the first week, well, you got a couple more weeks to get that in your head. I am alive. What did he do? He said, and speaking to, of them, the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God um, is a concept you can read about in the Old Testament. It's basically the rule of God. And, uh, the, the authority of God. It, it's, uh, um, you know, God is the, the creator of everything. And so he rules over everything. And when you read through the, the Old Testament, through your Bible, uh, the, the emphasis is really on um, humanity under the rule of God, humanity with God under his rulership. That's where the kingdom of God is, is, uh, is amazing. And, and you kind of see glimpses of that throughout the Old Testament through the covenants. You know, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Moses and with David. But sin is a big issue. Sin keeps us from living life with God under his rulership. And that's where Jesus came. Jesus came to offer salvation so that we could now be part of God's kingdom. Now we are kingdom citizens. And, 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 and uh, Jesus talks about how the kingdom of God uh, is going to start off really small and then it's going to grow and grow and grow until eventually he comes back and establishes his physical kingdom on the earth. Basically, his, his kingdom uh, resides within his, his kingdom citizens. We are kingdom citizens, uh, if we follow Christ, who live by a kingdom standard, and we proclaim to the rest of the world the way to the kingdom, to be with God under the rulership of God through Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And the more and more people come under the rule of, of, of God, the, the, the more that kingdom expands and expands and expands. And so that's what Jesus was talking about, telling them about the kingdom of God. And uh, verse four, 
So just to left FYI, verse one through three is kind of an introduction, kind of a broad overview, kind of like, hey, this is what went down. Now we're gonna get into the, the, the details here. Verse four, gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them. He gave them strict orders not to leave Jerusalem. Don't go on with the mission I'm, I'm telling you to go on. He says, but wait for what the father had promised. Whenever God makes a promise, he makes good on that promise. You can take it to the bank. Continue on, which he, Jesus said, you have heard from me. This is something that Jesus taught very frequently with his disciples. For verse five, for John baptized with water, literally he immersed uh, you with water, but you will be baptized with, or literally in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a way to prepare the people's hearts to receive their Messiah. The baptism that uh, Jesus is bringing about is a supernatural immersion of the Holy Spirit, receiving of the Holy Spirit, because up until this time, the Holy Spirit did not permanently dwell the people. This is, again, a direct fulfillment of passages we see in like Jeremiah and Joel where the promise is that God is going to give them a new, give people, mankind, a new spirit, a spirit that is going to enable them to follow the law, to, to be with God and, and, and live for him. So Jesus says, I want you to wait for this promised Holy Spirit. It's going to happen not many days from now. It's going to happen pretty soon. Verse six, so when they had come together, when they, the, the disciples assembled together, they were asking him, they're questioning him saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Now we could shake our heads and go, gosh, you guys are so thick. You're not getting this, but you give them a little bit of grace because at this time there were some, there were still some Old Testament prophecies that had still not yet been fulfilled. And that include the nation of Israel being reestablished, reset. And so notice Jesus's response. He, he's not rebuking them for that. He says, he, he, verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times, for you to personally know the times and epics or the, the, the appointed seasons which the father has fixed by his own authority, which the father has set in place by his own authority. He's like, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's not yet. Again, Jesus is, when Jesus came into this earth, into this world, um, he came to bring salvation and to preach about the kingdom of God. And then one day he is coming back to fulfill some of those other uh, passages in the law that will be establishing Israel as a nation once again. He says, but that's not for you to know. That's not for you to know. He continues verse eight, but instead, this is what I want you to focus in on. And so many Christians really need to hear that. Sometimes they get so obsessed about when Jesus is coming. Jesus made it really clear that there are going to be evidences to show that he's coming soon. But are we to be really obsessed about it? No. Jesus says in verse eight, instead, you will receive power. The word he has for power is the Greek word dunamis. It's the idea of uh, ability. You will receive ability or strength to carry out what you're going to do. How? How is that you're going to receive that power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what is the result? And you shall be my witnesses. You shall testify about me. Testify about the kingdom, about salvation, the gospel. 
both in Jerusalem, where they were currently at, and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part, or the uttermost, the most extreme portion of the earth. Like, you're going to just testify about me throughout the entire world. And you're going to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this, this uh, teaching of the Holy Spirit is, is not a new concept that Luke just automatically brings up here in the book of, of, of Acts. Luke, in his previous uh, um, account, um, the Gospel of Luke, or for us nerds, what do we say? Luke. Gosh, you guys are so tired. Um, <laughs> there's no passion behind that, Luke. Anyways, um, so uh, Luke brings up the Holy Spirit throughout his gospel. Now, there are two extremes when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You have one side where it's just they're absolutely obsessed with the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, so much so that it unfortunately leads to mishandling of God's word or adding to God's word, and there's uh, some abuse that happens. Uh, on the other side, you have individuals who see what's going on on that side, the extreme side, and what they do is they overcorrect to the point where the Holy Spirit is no longer important or it's neglected altogether. Um, I used to be an interim pastor at a, at a church, at a small church uh, just outside East Los Angeles, struggling church. Many of the leaders, I would don't even know if they were actually really actually saved. Uh, that's God's department, but uh, the, there was no fruit. And we were doing a, a Bible study, and uh, we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and this one individual was like, no, my, the Trinity I follow is the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. That's it. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? Oh, no, no, that's not important. Well, when the Bible brings up the Holy Spirit, no, no, that's, no, no. And they miss the significance. Jesus, before he, before he died, he was telling, uh, talking to his, uh, his uh, disciples. He was saying, you know, uh, in, in a little while, I'm going to leave you. But he said, it's a good thing that I leave. It is to your advantage that I leave. And you're thinking, I, I could just imagine how the disciples thinking, well, What's more good than you being here? You're the Messiah. You're here walking with us and talking with us. And we have this amazing relationship. What can be better? And Jesus says, it it, it is to your advantage that I go. If I don't go, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And he refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. He uses the Greek word parakletos. It literally means someone who comes alongside you to aid, to support, to encourage, to help you and comfort you. That's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's a very significant thing. When it comes to the the, the gospel of, of Luke, we see that Jesus again and again relied on the Holy Spirit throughout his earthly ministry. Now, some people uh, tend to look at Jesus um, almost like Superman. And for those who are familiar with Superman, aside from the blue leotard that he wears, he has pretty cool, uh, you know, uh, abilities. You know, was it faster than a speedy bullet? More powerful than a locomotive? Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? It's a Superman. But whenever you see him in the comic books or even on the old movies, he's never just walking around like Superman around New York or what is it, Metropolis. He's never walking around. He has an alter ego. What is his alter ego? Clark Kent. Yes, we've got some fans who are enthusiastic about that. 
Yes, Clark Kent. That's right. He's this clean cut, wears glasses. Apparently in the DC universe, they're not really good at observation. I guess glasses are enough to like disguise you. Oh, I don't know who you are. But uh, you know, he wears a suit and he's a reporter. And you know, it's meant to be funny because as the observers, us reading and us watching you know, the Superman, we know the truth. This Clark Kent, who's kind of bumbly, he's uncoordinated, he's a nerd. It's like, we know underneath that suit is a big S for Superman, right? We see him, oh, he runs up, he's running up some stairs and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it, I can't make it. We know the truth, that that's just a ruse. Oh, no, 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 he's just playing the part. Underneath, he's Superman. You know, he, he's can't, he can't open a, a jar of pickles. He has to have like Lois Lane doing. We, we know that's just a gag because underneath that suit, there's a big S. And sometimes we take that same view for Jesus. It's like, oh, well, the reason why he was able to honor his father and mother is because underneath his robes is a big S for Savior. That's why. Oh, the only reason he was able to battle through temptation and not uh, a sin was because underneath his robes is an S. And whenever the Bible depicts him getting tired and falling asleep, oh, that's just a ruse. That's just a gag. And when he's, when he's suffering on the cross and experiencing the pain and he's dying, oh, we know the truth. That's all fake. He's just playing the part. Underneath those robes, you'll find big S. But the truth is what Luke brings up in his gospel. Um, actually, even Philippians, just, we just bring up Philippians chapter two. We just went through the, the, a series on Philippians. Philippians chapter two says, even though Jesus existed as God, he did not consider uh, his divine attributes as something to be taken advantage of, to be used for his own advantage. And so instead he laid it aside and took on the form of a, spirit, uh, of a servant. And so Luke reveals in his gospel that, uh, you know, Jesus grew just like, just like you and me. He grew in wisdom and, 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 and strength, and, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus relied on the ministry of the Holy Spirit while he was on this earth. And what's so amazing is that later on, the Bible says that that same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry, that same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, that same spirit now resides in us who follow Jesus. I mean, that's amazing. Amazing truth. That you, we, we can actually say no to sin and yes to God, not on our own strength, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can read and understand God's word more and more, not because we're smart, but because through the power of the Holy Spirit at work. We can go and proclaim the gospel with boldness, not because we're all that and very confident, well-spoke people. No, because of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in us and through us. We can actually go through hard times the only reason why we can go through those hard times is because of the Holy Spirit giving us strength to go through those hard times. We can suffer for the cause of Christ because of the Holy Spirit. 
Amazing truth. Amazing truth. So, Jesus says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Verse 9. It says, and after he said these things, he was lifted up, he was raised up, elevated up, while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. In the Old Testament, uh, clouds kind of, you, you see image of, of cloud referring to God's glory descending on the mountain, in the, in the tabernacle, inside the temple when, when God's presence filled it. Um, we don't really know, was this a regular cloud or was it kind of that glorious cloud? Whatever it was, Jesus uh, passed out of their sight. They couldn't see him anymore. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, verse 10, as they were looking earnestly, as they were fixing their eyes upon, I can just think they're looking with anticipation almost. Like, okay, what's going to happen now? Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, chances are we've never, I mean, we, we, you've never really seen a person levitate up into the sky without any some kind of harness, right? I mean, even David Copperfield couldn't get past his own stage. You know, it, it, no, no, none of us ever seen that. And I always think of like kids with a balloon. You know, you give a kid a balloon and they let it go and they're just kind of like, and they're just staring at it. This kind of figure out how the, these, uh, these disciples were looking at Jesus just kind of going and they're like, maybe we should have put him on a string, you know? <laughs> you know, but they, they, they're watching him. They're gazing intently, fixing their eyes upon him. While he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And we, most likely, these were probably angelic beings, these messengers from God. Verse 11, they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand? Why are you continually establishing yourself right here, setting yourself down? Why do you stand there looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you watched him go into heaven. So it's like there's a little bit of a bad news here. Jesus is going away. But here's some good news. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power, ability, and strength to do what you need to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is coming back. Wow, that's encouraging. You get the Holy Spirit. So yeah, bad news. Yeah, Jesus is going to go. Good news. You get the Holy Spirit and Jesus is coming back one day. Hallelujah. That's really great. So then the question he's asked, he, these men are asking, are like, why are you sitting around then? Why are you just standing? You got some good news. You got your mission. You got your marching orders. Go do it. Stop just standing, looking at the sky, expecting something to happen. You got your orders. Go. As uh, 2022 approaches us, um, literally this week, right? Saturday? Saturday, yeah. Um, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Why are we just standing, looking up to the sky? Some people are standing, waiting for God to move, waiting for God to do something, waiting for God to address a situation, waiting for God to answer a prayer, and they're just standing there. And the question is, why? Why are you standing there? You have your marching orders. Go 
do it. But I'm waiting, Lord. I'm, I'm waiting. Keep waiting. I have you doing something. Go do it. Some people are just standing there, not because they're waiting for God to move, but they're standing there because they're afraid. They're intimidated. They know they're marching orders, but they're like, you know, I'm not that smart. I'm really not that charismatic. I'm just, uh, I, I don't think I could really do this. And the question is, well, wait a minute. Why are you still standing there? You have, if you're a follower of Christ, have the Holy Spirit empowering your life. Go. You're not going alone. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in you. The same spirit that worked in your life to bring about your salvation, that transferred you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God, that spirit is working in you and through you. You don't need to be intimidated or afraid or timid, whatever. Go do it. Stop standing around. Some people are standing because they're just selfish reasons. Well, if I just stand here, this is very comfortable. This is very convenient. And I have control in my little bubble. They stand there not gazing at the sky, not waiting for God to move, not out of fear. They're staring at their, their own dreams. They're st staring at their own desires, what they want to do with their life. What I want to do is, 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 is great, but what you're asking me to do, Lord, it's just, ah, uh, it's just hard. The question is, why are you just standing there? If you're a follower of Christ, you're a soldier you have marching orders, go do it. Go do it. Even if it's not comfortable, even if, if it's not convenient, even if it means pain and suffering, go do it. Some people are simply standing there because they honestly don't know what to do. It's not because they're just waiting for God to, to answer prayer or, or they're fearful or they're being selfish. They're like, I just don't know what to do. What are my marching orders? Well, pick up the word and start reading. As we like to say here, read your Bibles. And Jesus made it very clear. As you're living your life, you are to make disciples. That is your job. You are a kingdom citizen living by a kingdom standard tasked with the job of making more kingdom, you know, more disciples, more learners of Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to the world. This world needs good news. I mean, my goodness, we just hear bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news in this, in this day that we live in. People need the good news, but not the good news of a p new president or a new governor or a new law that's being passed or a new stimulus package that's coming, going to hit our banks in the coming future. They need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ who offers them salvation that they could never earn on their own so that they can live with God under his rule and one day experience his kingdom when he comes back. So again, the question we have to ask ourselves, why are we just standing? We have our marching orders. We need to get to it. 
We got 2022 coming up. Let's get our marching shoes on. Let's go ahead and go for Christ. So there you go, you guys. Merry Christmas. We are done. That is it. That's what I want you to leave with. Don't stand around. Fight the good fight of faith. Proclaim Christ. Let's go ahead and pray. So Jesus, we are honored to be citizens of your kingdom. We are uh, ashamed of our waiting around, of standing around. Sometimes it's through selfish motives, sometimes out of fear. You gave us marching orders. And um, Lord, the, the, the world needs to hear the good news. And so as we, as we approach this new year, may we approach it with a sense of urgency, recognizing that we were not called to live for ourselves, we were called to live for you. We were not called to fulfill our own mission, but we were called to fulfill your mission. Lord, as followers of Christ, our mission is to, to grow in our knowledge of you through your word, to love one another, to serve each other, all the brothers and sisters in Christ to serve each other, to encourage one another, pray for one another. Also, Lord, to love the world, to love them, love them enough to, to give them the good news to reach out. So Lord, again, help us. Holy Spirit, help um, give us the, 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 the power, the energy that we need to do what you've called us to do. Many of us have personal missions that you, you, you are calling us to, Lord. You, you're calling us to uh, uh, talk to a neighbor, talk to a family member. You're talking. You're, you're you're encouraging us to ask forgiveness. You're you're calling us to to uh, uh, give forgiveness. But Lord, not only are we call, do we have a, a personal callings, but we also have a corporate calling. And again, that's pr to proclaim you to the ends of the world. You say this over and over again. And some people may say, it's just so redundant. But it's that way for a reason, because we get too comfortable. We get too tired. So help us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.